Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of TheRandyReport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. In this week's headlines, Billy Porter makes history at the Emmy Awards. Arizona's Supreme Court rules it's fine for businesses to discriminate against LGBTQ people. Democratic White House hopeful Pete Buttigieg got grumpy with the LGBTQ media. And Queer Eye's Jonathan Van Ness comes out as HIV positive. All that and more in this episode of The Randy Report. And the category is love. Billy Porter made history on Sunday night winning the Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series for his work as Pray Tell in the groundbreaking FX series Pose. He is the first openly gay black man to win in his category. Accepting the award, Porter began by quoting James Baldwin. It took many years of vomiting up all the filth I'd been taught about myself and half-believed before I was able to walk on the earth as though I had a right to be here. Addressing the audience, he added, I have the right, you have the right, we all have the right. He then acknowledged the men nominated in his category, saying, It is an honor to be up here breathing the same air that y'all breathe. After thanking his cast members and his team, he turned to the co-creator of the show, saying, Ryan Murphy, Ryan Murphy, Ryan Murphy, you saw me and believed in us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And he closed his thanks by addressing the creative community, saying, We as the artists are the people that can change the molecular structure of the hearts and minds of the people who live on this planet. Please don't ever stop doing that. Please don't ever stop telling the truth. Pose, also nominated for Outstanding Drama Series, made its mark from the get-go with the largest transgender cast in the history of television. Having won a Tony Award for his performance as Lola in the hit Broadway musical Kinky Boots and a Grammy Award for the show's original cast recording, this Emmy Award moves Porter just an Academy Award shy of an EGOT. Afterward, Porter became emotional backstage when asked how his win can empower the LGBTQ community. His answer, visibility and representation are the only things that create change. It's when we are visible that we have the power to create empathy through the way we tell stories. I know that being black and gay and out and being in this position and speaking in the position that I get to speak from is the change. I hope that young queer people of all colors can look at me and know that they can. The Arizona State Supreme Court has ruled Phoenix-based company Brush & Nib, which designs custom wedding invitations, may turn away same-sex couples looking to engage their services. According to the Phoenix New Times, the owners of the design studio, Brianna Kosky and Joanna Duca, filed their lawsuit against the city of Phoenix in 2016, saying the city's anti-discrimination ordinance violated their artistic and religious freedoms. 
the ordinance, which prohibits businesses from refusing to offer services to protected classes, was expanded in 2013 to include sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. After the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its historic Obergefell ruling on same-sex marriage in June 2015, Koski and Duca said they didn't want to design wedding invitations, or any custom art for that matter, for a same-sex ceremony because they believed it would be seen as an endorsement of marriage equality. No. It's important to note that no one had asked Brush and Nib to design any wedding invitations for a same-sex wedding. The duo seems to have preemptively pursued legal action before there was a reason to do so. This ruling reverses multiple previous decisions against the business owners. After losing in the Maricopa County Superior Court, the business owners went to the State Court of Appeals and lost there as well. But writing for the majority in this 4-3 decision, Justice Andrew Gould said, The rights of free speech and free exercise, so precious to this nation since its founding, are not limited to soft murmurings behind the doors of a person's home or church or private conversations with like-minded friends and family. These guarantees protect the right of every American to express their beliefs in public. This includes the right to create and sell words, paintings, and art that express a person's sincere religious beliefs. The women's lawyer, Jonathan Scruggs, with the virulently anti-LGBTQ law firm Alliance Defending Freedom, told reporters his firm hopes to see the issue make its way all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. ADF also represented Colorado baker Jack Phillips in his case, where he refused to bake a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. In 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a narrow ruling in Phillips' favor, saying the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had allowed religious bias to come into play in their finding that the baker had discriminated against a couple, even though state law clearly bans discrimination based on sexual orientation. Some LGBTQ advocates, like Joe Jervis of JoeMyGod.com, have publicly speculated whether Alliance Defending Freedom created Brush and Nib as a means to challenge the Phoenix City Ordinance. Prior to the filing of the original lawsuit, the company didn't appear to have a physical address. The artist's social media accounts had only recently been created, and the company's YouTube channel only had one introductory video posted, and it's marked unlisted. Things that make you go, hmm. The city of Phoenix issued a statement regarding the ruling, pointing out that the decision does not strike down the local ordinance. The statement read, The city of Phoenix's anti-discrimination ordinance is still a legal valid law and remains in effect. It currently affirms that everyone should be treated fairly and equally regardless of sexual orientation, race, religion, sex, gender, or disability. On September 16, 2019, the Arizona Supreme Court made a very narrow ruling that one local business has the right to refuse to make custom wedding invitations for same-sex couples' weddings that are similar to the designer's previous products. This ruling does not apply to any other business in Phoenix. The city of Phoenix has had an anti-discrimination ordinance since 1964 to protect all residents and believes that everyone should be treated equally.
In a recent interview on SiriusXM's Urban View, Democratic presidential candidate Mayor Pete Buttigieg discussed a range of topics, including the mayor's work to earn the support of the African-American community. Pivoting from that subject, host Clay Kane shared that when he had discussed Buttigieg's candidacy with his straight friends, the majority indicated they could vote for a gay man for president. But Kane added that when he broached the subject of a gay man winning the White House to his gay friends, the response was, according to Kane, there's no way a gay man could win. Buttigieg responded by pointing to his 80% win in his race for a second term as mayor of South Bend after coming out in a fairly conservative state. Kane then asked, how different do you think your candidacy would be if you were more effeminate? Which is an interesting question in and of itself. He continued, I'm sure you've heard this before in LGBT circles, that more masculine presenting men have more access. How different would it be if you were quote-unquote more effeminate? The two-term mayor of South Bend and a military veteran had this answer. It's tough for me to know, right? Because I am what I am, and you know, there's going to be a lot of that. That's why I don't read the LGBT media anymore, because it's all too gay, not gay enough, wrong kind of gay. All I know is that life became a lot easier when I just started allowing myself to be myself and let other people write up whether I'm to this or to that. Now, at the time, I gave the mayor a break, assuming he somehow misspoke, because the vast majority of coverage by the actual LGBTQ media has been very supportive of Buttigieg and his candidacy. The articles that have been negative about the mayor centering on his sexuality have been in non-LGBTQ outlets like Slate, The Outline, and that horrible piece by gay author Dale Peck that was yanked offline at the New Republic as quickly as it went up. With all that going on, I assumed this question about the LGBT media and Mayor Buttigieg would come up at the LGBTQ forum in Iowa sponsored by GLAAD. Buttigieg was questioned by the Advocates Editor-in-Chief, Zach Stafford, at the event, but he didn't address the issue. It turns out, Buttigieg had been asked the question for an interview for AM to DM by BuzzFeed News, which Stafford co-hosts. Stafford tweeted out his explanation and a video clip of the question and answer. Co-host Alex Berg asked the mayor, when LGBTQ plus journalism is dwindling, despite our rights being threatened at higher rates, why come for queer media? Buttigieg answered, I appreciate the question and the chance to clear this up. Just to be clear, LGBTQ media plays an increasingly important role, especially at this time. Buttigieg answered the question, saying he'd had a grumpy moment and acknowledged the important work that's being done in the queer media today. Take a listen to his answer. I want to get to another tweet about a topic um, from the news recently. Um, You said in an interview that you, quote, can't even read the LGBT media anymore because it's all he's too gay, not gay enough, wrong kind of gay. And Out Magazine editor-in-chief Philip Bacardi tweeted this question. When LGBTQ plus journalism is dwindling despite our rights being threatened at higher rates, why come for queer media? Uh, I appreciate the question and the chance to clear this up. Just to be clear, uh, LGBTQ media plays an increasingly important role, especially at a time like this. I had a grumpy moment where I was thinking (laughs) about uh, some of the coverage that that I do get frustrated with that seems to tell people how to be gay. And that's 
to be fair, happening in a lot of different uh, sources and places online and in others. And it's one of the reasons why, as a candidate, it's healthy just not to read too many clips about yourself to begin with. But uh, I don't want to take away from the very good work that's being done in the queer media right now. Do you feel like the scrutiny over your remarks was unfair at all? No, look, uh, when you're a politician, you're fair game. And even though I don't think of myself as a politician, I'm running for political office. Everything you say is on the record. Everything you say has an impact. And uh, it's important to make sure that you're saying things in the right way and that they're having the right effect. And it looks like Buttigieg's success as a two-term mayor of South Bend has inspired some other accomplished LGBTQ folks to run for office in the Hoosier State. Josh Owens, the CEO of Indianapolis-based online retailer Supply Kick, has announced his bid for governor of Indiana. Owens is the state's first openly gay major party candidate for that office. I'm running for governor now because I believe in an Indiana where teachers are paid what they deserve and where all are welcomed, respected, and protected. We need a leader who will ensure our state budget, policies, and laws reflect a bold and inclusive vision for collective Hoosier success. Today, many Indiana teachers have to work second jobs, and even then, they spend their own money on classroom supplies. As a businessman, I know every Hoosier in the workplace matters, and leadership is required to solve this problem and finally pay them fairly. You can find out more about Josh Owens at his official website, joshowens.com. A gay man in Oklahoma has filed a police report after members of the First Assembly of God Church in Blackwell allegedly held him down and punched him in an attempt to pray the gay away. Sean Cormie, 23 years old, came out as gay this past spring. Since that time, his family has asked him to attend services at the church. His partner, Gary Gardner, was invited to attend as well. Cormie told local news station KFOR, I wanted to go to church to make my mom proud. On September 8th, the couple joined family members at the church, which Cormie had attended several times. He says there was nothing unusual about the service until the end, when Cormie and Gardner were asked to come up to the altar. As they did, church members stood up and began to circle the couple. At the same time, the pastor began to preach against homosexuality. Cormie recalls him saying, It's a sin. It's an abomination. You need to realize, wake up, and see it for a sin. As the praying by the 12 to 15 congregants grew louder and louder, Cormie and Gardner felt uncomfortable and moved to leave. But while Gardner made it out of the church, Cormie says he was physically restrained by the congregants. Gardner told local station News 9 that Cormie was slammed to the ground by his own stepfather. Said Cormie, they hold me down, pin me down, and I'm crying, and the Holy Spirit just comes through me, and they keep speaking in tongues, praying over me. At some point, Cormie says he was punched in the face. I was just crying, mercy, mercy. Cormie says eventually it was his sister who convinced the congregants to let him go. When he was finally released, Cormie says he left the church with a black eye and bruises on his arms and face. He immediately headed to the Blackwell Police Department, where he filed a report. According to KFOR, the police chief acknowledges the incident is being investigated. Bill and Tammy McKissick, pastors for the First Assembly Church of God, issued this statement. Quote, On behalf of First Assembly, we have been asked by the media to respond to the allegations that have been made. This began as a family matter that escalated. 
our church, would never condone restraint of any person unless they were engaged in violent activity. There is much more to this incident, and we are cooperating fully with law enforcement to hopefully bring all the facts to light as a rush to judgment is not in anyone's best interest. End quote. Since filing the police report, Cormy says he's received anonymous threats to drop his allegations. He adds that family members, who he believes were involved in the incident, have urged him to let the issue go. But Cormie is firm in his belief that what they did was totally wrong, and he feels there should, quote, be some consequences out of it. On a spiritual level, he says he believes being gay is a sin, but he is who he is. He told KFOR, I'm a full-fledged gay. You can't change it. It's my nature. I'm born that way. So let it be. The Washington Post reported recently that conservative Pennsylvania State Senator Mike Fulmer has been charged with possession of child pornography. The charges against Fulmer include sexual abuse of children, possession of child pornography, and criminal use of a communication facility. The married grandfather of seven was caught as the result of a tip that popular blogging site Tumblr found that a user had uploaded an image of child pornography using its application. They said the tip eventually led investigators to Falmer's home in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, where they executed a search warrant and found child pornography images on his cell phone. Fulmer told the police that he received the images via his Tumblr account and that he was experiencing some, quote, personal problems. Mm-hmm. Governor Tom Wolf called for Fulmer's immediate resignation, and a day later, he resigned from the Pennsylvania State Senate. Now, it will come as no surprise to regular listeners of the Randy Report that Fulmer has often voted against LGBTQ protections or rights during his time in office because, you know, Jesus. In 2008, he was a sponsor of Pennsylvania's Marriage Protection Act. In 2016, he blocked the Pennsylvania Fairness Act, saying he didn't see any urgency to passing the legislation. And in 2018, he blocked that same legislation again. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. In advance of his upcoming memoir, Over the Top, Jonathan Van Ness of Queer Eye fame sat down with the New York Times to touch on some of the more vulnerable subjects in the book. Among those are coming out about his struggles with sex and drug addiction and the day of his diagnosis as HIV positive. Offering a cliff notes of the new autobiography, the Times included details from Van Ness's life like growing up in Quincy, Illinois as a self-described little baby queen, the taunts he was subjected to throughout school years, sharing, I was too fat, too femme, too loud, and too unlovable. And spending early teen years in AOL chat rooms, it was the 1990s, folks, where he would learn to meet older men for sex. Exulting in freedom that he felt after moving from Illinois to Arizona for college, his first month in school, he blew his monthly allowance on cocaine. Embarrassed by his own recklessness, rather than ask his mother for more money, he began to advertise sex for money on a gay personal site. He would end up flunking out of college at the end of his first year. However, years of styling his Barbie doll's hair would lead him to his current career as a beautician. But, as his drug and sex additions continued, 
he spiraled downward while working and living in Los Angeles. After a feigning episode while coloring a client's hair, he went to Planned Parenthood, where a blood test would reveal his HIV-positive status. He was 25 years old. He tells the New York Times, That day was just as devastating as you think it would be. Since that time, he's gotten his addictions under control. His parody series, Gay of Thrones, brought him public attention. It was nominated for three Creative Arts Emmys and ultimately found his place as a cast member of the Emmy Award-winning reboot of Queer Eye. The Times article closes by writing, He is healthy and now describes himself as an out and proud member of the beautiful HIV-positive community. Vaness says, When Queer Eye came out, it was really difficult because I was like, do I want to talk about my status? And then I was like, the Trump administration has done everything they can do to have the stigmatization of the LGBT community thrive around me. He paused, then added, I do feel the need to talk about this. These are all difficult subjects to talk about on a makeover show about hair and makeup. That doesn't mean Queer Eye is less valid, but I want people to realize you're never too broken to be fixed. Over the Top, A Raw Journey to Self-Love is now available on Amazon and all digital download sites as well as bookstores across the country. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you would share The Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time. <laughs>